The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. I bet you find the title very interesting, Four Days, how we're going to do this in four days. So that leads to sort of our, our first question. Can a church be revitalized in four days? Which I'm sure that's what you were thinking about. And I assure you, if we had come up with that solution uh, and that silver bullet, we would be making a whole lot of money within the next few months. Uh, But we do want to share something with you, I think, that's very helpful uh, about four days and what can take place because many pastors that we're finding are really trying to revitalize their church and the focus is primarily on what happens on Sunday. Uh, it has to do with structure of, of service or, or type of service or something about Sunday and everything sort of focusing on Sunday. And what we want to sort of suggest to you is that there are a lot of other days uh, during the week. And what we do with those days and the intentionality that we live into those days is going to have a lot to do with revitalization. So understanding that we as pastors have to put some parameters around our schedule of what we do, what we don't do, what we get involved in uh, is is a huge part of of revitalization. So we want to talk about this morning developing some pastoral rhythms of of, of life and and what that looks like. And and Russ and I are going to sort of walk through this and then give some examples of sort of our pastoral rhythms that we develop uh, while, while in the pastorate and encourage you down the line to begin think more intentional about this because I discovered this after pastoring for 25 years. I can either make the determination of how I spend my time or somebody else is going to make that determination for me. Uh, And so how we spend those times and those days are going to be pivotal. So it's not just four days, but it's four days every week, every month, every year, giving the right attention to uh, the right things that's going to help in, in revitalization. Because it really begins to prevent us from some things if we are intentional about this and we, we think through this and we begin to live into these things. First of all, it sort of prevents us from, you know, maybe getting a little lazy uh, in, in, our, in our ministry. You ever have that thought that, you know, it doesn't matter how much I do, it really doesn't make a difference anyway sort of deal? Why should I kill myself and why should I uh, struggle with, with, with all of this on me when in reality it's not making a whole lot of difference. Or the thought of, you know, we waste our time on doing the wrong things sometime in, in, in our uh, pastoral ministries. And, and, and we do the wrong things and we don't accomplish that what we're uh, trying to accomplish. Or we get overwhelmed to the point of just inactivity and ineffectiveness. Have you ever felt as a pastor that you're on that ministry treadmill? You were just sort of doing the same thing over and over uh, your ministries really weren't very effective or whatever, uh, and you just felt like you were just managing programs or something rather than actually uh, making an, an impact on people's lives. So there are going to be four areas of, of concentration that we're going to look at this morning that really we have to be intentional about developing these rhythms as pastors. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list of everything a pastor does. But I think this is a a pretty significant list about some of the things that are required of us as pastors if we are going to uh, lead our church in revitalization. Uh, And and you can read those. They're preaching, leading, shepherding, and discipling. Now, I know there are a whole lot of things that go underneath that, uh, but Mr. Russ Reeves is here uh, with me. Russ is a member of the strategic focus team, and so him and I get to intersect a lot with church revitalization and different things. And Russ is going to come and we're going to, he's going to begin to lay out those responsibilities or those rhythms that we really need to begin to look at developing in our, in our ministry. So Russ. All right. Thanks, Andy. So let's just define what we mean by these four concentrations. Uh, so obviously, I mean, anybody who's a pastor hopefully feels like God called them to preach. And uh, for many people, when you think about preaching, you're thinking about the exhilaration of getting in the pulpit on Sunday morning and delivering that message. But really, that message has to be born in hours of labor over the text and prayerful preparation during the week. So you've got to schedule that in or else you're going to be trying to pull off a Saturday night special or, 
you know, uh, you're getting up an extra hour early Sunday morning trying to squeeze something together. So uh, you've got to give time to prepare well. And, uh, and, and what we find, I think, consistently in churches that are revitalizing that is that it's text-driven, Christ-centered preaching. Uh, and, and you would say, well, don't we all do that? Um, as convention staff members, we visit a lot of churches. We hear a lot of sermons. None that any of you preached, obviously. We're talking about people, you know, that aren't here. Uh, they, they are not text-driven, and they are not Christ-centered. And, you know, I find myself leaving thinking, well, that inspirational talk could have been delivered in any mosque or synagogue in America. You know, uh, if you're not getting to the cross and getting to the gospel from the text then uh, you're missing the mark. And that takes work. You've got to labor to get there. Christ builds His church through the sufficiency of His Word. And our preaching uh, demonstrates that. So, uh, secondly, discipling. Now, you may think, well, we have a discipleship program. But we're not talking about administrating a program. We're talking about you living a lifestyle of being a disciple maker. This is not a class that somebody can take. It's a relationship that you develop with people that leads to them following Jesus more closely. It's, uh, I think we find that it, in churches that are revitalizing, personal, relational disciple-making is not optional. And the pastor has to lead the way by example. If the pastor is not personally discipling others, nobody else is going to. Uh, you have to personally invest in those people and then, and then instill in them the need to multiply so that they take the discipleship that you have poured into them and begin to pour it into others. So we recommend a, a triad structure, uh, you and two others, that, that then multiplies after a period of, say, four to six months. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of arbitrary, but you set the boundaries on it. You disciple those two others, and then all three of you disciple two more. And then that just continues to multiply and grow. I had a, had a pastor tell me recently, he said, I don't think we can really do anything. I only have five members in my church. I said, five, that's fantastic. By the end of the year, you can disciple your whole church, you know, and, uh, and then begin to multiply. So, uh, and then uh, shepherding. Obviously, pastor means shepherd, and uh, the shepherd has to know and care for the sheep if the sheep are going to trust and follow the shepherd. And so this includes things like pastoral care and visitation and, and being there in a crisis and counseling people. Uh, you know, we could go on and on and on, but it's through shepherding that we're cultivating the relationships that are essential for revitalization. So, you know, you think, well, these people hear me preach every Sunday. Well, they're there, you're in the same room, you know, they, they could hear you preach every Sunday, but they're going to hear you a lot better if you've shown them that shepherding care. And uh, the relationships that you're building through your shepherding ministry are going to be the relationships that you draw from to build your disciple making that are going to lead to those revitalization moments. And then leading. Uh, you know, administration is not everybody's strong suit, uh, in fact, it's not the strong suit of any pastor I ever followed in pastoral ministry. <laughs> so I had to give a lot of attention to administration in my 20 years of pastoral ministry. Uh, plenty of seats right up front, just like every Southern Baptist church. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, what I find is that where there's chaotic culture in a church, it's because there's been poor administration there. So we have to give some attention to that. And, and our leadership in this way needs to be vision driven, not just good organizational managers, but, but really leading with uh, uh, the, the vision that we find is God's own vision in his word. I think sometimes we go to workshops and read books to talk about having this great grand vision and you think, man, I'm not, it's not smart enough to come up with something dazzling and articulate. God's already given us his vision. Uh, his vision is spelled out in his word. And that is that God is building for himself a people of every nation, tribe, people, and language to be with him forever, worshiping him uh, forever. And so uh, we're, we're leading based on God's vision. Uh, and, and so it's, vision and mission are inseparable. The vision is what we're seeing that God wants to do, and the mission is how we're going to get there. And we talk to a lot of churches that say, well... We want to get our church on mission, but we're going to revitalize first. 
You can't revitalize and then get on mission because the mission is going to be essential for your revitalization. So you, you, it's not revitalize then mission, it's revitalize own mission. So, so you begin leading out on this vision of uh, being a people that, that is reaching every nation, tribe, people, and language for God. And that, that itself brings revitalization into it. So a revitalization leader is leading his people out on mission and administering the church to facilitate that momentum. So we have these four concentrations and a perfect pastor is uh, right there in the sweet spot, right in the middle of all that, right? Now raise your hand if that's you today. Right? Uh, so you need to let every search committee in America know that this guy doesn't exist. You can stop looking for him. You know, all of us are, are more out into one of these outer areas with some overlap into some others uh, but we can always make progress and move toward the middle. So I like to describe the perfectly imperfect pastor. Um, the perfectly imperfect pastor is strong in some areas, weak in others, and he's aware of the difference. He knows where he's strong. He knows where he's weak. And that's going to influence how he spends his time and energy. So he's able to delegate his weaknesses. Uh, let let a willing volunteer, you know, if, they, if you've got a volunteer that's willing to do a mediocre job at something, that's better than you doing a poor job at it, you know. And sometimes, you know, a pastor will say to me, well, I just don't have anybody that can do that well. And I'm like, well, you're doing it terribly. So, <laughs> so if you could have somebody that could do it okay, that's far better than you doing it poorly, you know. Uh, and, it, you know, if preaching is your weakness, own that. And, you know, Equip yourself to, to work on it and do better at it, but you know, don't kill your people with bad preaching. Let people you're discipling begin to share the pulpit and, and, uh, and work them into the preaching schedule so that you know, you're not just constantly feeding them with malnourished uh, you know, goods, uh, but own that and work on it. Whatever it is that's your weakness, delegate and develop. Uh, serve the strengths of others. You know, a good leader isn't afraid, uh, afraid or ashamed to follow others when necessary. So if shepherding is your weakness, entrust that to some compassionate brother or sister and follow their lead. Uh, the greatest example of this that I've ever heard is a friend of mine told me, he said, this is how I do homebound ministry in my church. Uh, I don't know, some of you may have this homebound thing licked, but a lot of guys really struggle with this. But he said, I have a deacon that just lives and breathes for homebound people. And he said, I've told that guy, Monday morning, 9 o'clock, that hour belongs to you. You set it up. You arrange who we're going to visit. You don't even have to tell me. Meet me at the church. I get in the car with you, and we're going to go visit somebody for an hour. And he said, we do that every Wednesday. He puts, the pastor puts zero energy or attention into it. The deacon is running with it. The pastor meets him there, gets in the car, and goes with him. He's serving the strength of this other brother. Uh, develop your strengths and your weaknesses because, there's, like I said, there's always room to move toward the center of that diagram. And then budget your way out of weakness. Sometimes, you know, we can't all afford to have full-time staff, but sometimes maybe there's some money to have a part-time staff member or an intern. Sometimes you can find a seminary student that will do it for the experience and for the line on their resume uh, you know, and, and not for the money. It could be uh, that, that you could, uh, there's a resource out there that could help you with your planning or, or something like that that would take a load off of your shoulders, some tool that you could, you could implement. But I like to throw in the caveat that that doesn't include buying somebody else's sermons, okay? Uh, you, you need to be getting in the Word and doing that work yourself uh, or else just get Sandy's for free. Uh, but uh, don't buy somebody else's. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so those are the four concentrations and, and, uh, and, and kind of how we're talking about keeping them in balance. And Sandy's going to talk to you about where did, where did this whole idea, uh, well, I'll kind of introduce it to you. We started out, this was going to be a breakout on preaching for revitalization. And uh, that's why some of your descriptions read differently, you know, depending on whether you're looking at the app or the printed thing. It's because originally we were going to talk about preaching for revitalization. And, and as we were meeting over this at McDonald's one day, we said, uh, you know, what the outcome of this is going to be is guys preaching good sermons to dead churches. So it's, it's got to be more than preaching. And so uh, that's where this idea came of, of balancing these four concentrations. So there we go. What I discovered is 
You know, we looked at these four areas and, and I noticed in my ministry that the churches that I had pastored was they were going to hold me accountable to two of those. Almost. I pastored three churches over 25 years. All three of those churches held me accountable for preaching. I had to at least show up. I mean, it didn't really even have to be good preaching, but just show up to preach. You know, if you're not there on Sunday morning to preach, there's going to be an issue. And they were going to hold me accountable for shepherding. If I wasn't visiting those that were sick, I was going to hear about that. That was going to be an issue. What they were not going to hold me accountable to are two of the most important aspects of revitalization. They were not going to hold me accountable for providing leadership. And they were not going to hold me accountable for discipling. So in other words, most of our established churches that are in need of revitalization, as long as you show up to preach and as long as you show up at the hospital, the church by and large is going to be happy with you. And they're going to be content with you uh, because many of them are just sort of looking for a chaplain to sort of help them maintain where they are. Uh, but, But chaplains is a great ministry, but it's not a ministry for a pastor. Uh, A part of what we have to do is provide leadership, provide vision, provide uh, discipling and and lay the way of that. So what began to formulate in our minds is if we're not intentional about those things, we're going to do those things that the church is going to hold us accountable for the most. In other words, we're going to fall into this ministry of just simply showing up to preach and showing up at hospitals, and we're going to let the other stuff fall by the wayside. And I can say that with authority because that's what happened to me. And I found myself on this ministry treadmill of just simply going through the motions of showing up to preach, showing up to make sure the programs and everything were running well, showing up at the hospital to make sure everybody was visited when something was wrong in their life. But we were not seeing any type of transformation. We weren't seeing any type of revitalization or effectiveness in my life. And I really discovered that the problem was not the church. The problem was me. The problem was me as, as the pastor. So I began to think about how can I be intentional about, about my life? And, it, and I noticed it had a lot to do with where I invested my time. So I want you to begin to think about it because the bulk of this benefit for you is going to be when you leave this breakout today. I hope it's going to jog something in your mind where you can begin to think about this if you're not already. And we'll give you some information about how we'd be willing to even come along beside you later on. But I want you to begin to think about your work days in blocks of three. Now, what we're assuming here is that most pastors take a day off, should take a day off. Some take Friday, some take Monday. Uh, As you see in just a little bit, I always took Thursday. So we're looking at basically four work days that, that we're dealing with and begin to think about your days in these three different blocks of time, uh, morning, afternoon, and evening. Uh, so begin to just wrap your mind around those things and that being a three or four block, uh, three or four hour block of time. And so we got to deal with, you know, how many hours should a pastor work? Have you ever asked, had that conversation with your congregation? Most congregations will tell you what? You may work two hours. They want you to work 90 or 100 hours or whatever, but, but, but most of them think you're working about two hours a week or whatever. But I want you to think about it in, in this realm. A full workload is, is condensed down for our folks for 40 hours, right? Most of our folks think in the terms of 40 hours. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, a faithful volunteer works their 40-hour job, and then hopefully they're serving in some capacity in your church. So we got to go a little beyond 40 to really get an adequate number. And so by the time you're looking at that, we're sort of dealing with 40 plus hours, uh, you know, plus the hours that a faithful church volunteer would actually give towards the ministry of the church. So let's let's use 45 hours a, a week as a guide. Now, I know you're thinking, man, I would love to only work 45 hours a week. You know, some weeks are much, much more than that. We, un- we understand that. So for five work days, this is about, you know, this is nine hours per day. And we realize that in the the pastorate, it's not like other uh, places people serve. Not all those days are going to be equal. Some days are going to be longer. You know, crises happen. Things arise that that you have to take care of. Some of your days, you're going to start at 6 a.m. and you're not going to stop till 10 or 11 p.m. You know, we understand that's part of... That's part of what God has called us to. Uh, and, and Sundays usually don't require a full nine hours. Uh, and, and we want to encourage you to schedule 
and protect your family time and your rest time. I like to tell pastors that recreation is a theological word that we must you know, have in our life because you're of no value if, if you're not being replenished. If there's not any downtime for you to relax and replenish physically, if there's not downtime for you to relax and replenish emotionally, then eventually you're going to be of no value to your congregation. And this is even a bigger tragedy. You're going to be no value to your wife and to your family. And, and, the, and the worst thing I think that can happen in a pastor's life is for him to sacrifice his marriage, his family, his children on the altar of his church. Uh, and, and so when, when I, I can't be serious enough when I say schedule into your time as a pastor uh, this, this recreation time, this time to replenish because your church is not going to volunteer that to you very often. You have to put that on your calendar. You have to protect that. And all of this being said, we've got to recognize there's emergencies and there's, there's urgencies that are going to require this sort of schedule that you lay out, that your rhythms are sometimes going to be interrupted. You know, that's just a given. It goes along with being a, a, a pastor. So we're basically looking then at developing these rhythms for revitalization. So in your week that you're trying to be very intentional about as this pastor, uh, we have to begin to lay out time and be intentional about time for our shepherding, uh, for our preaching, for our discipling, and for our leading. Because as I said earlier, what churches primarily are going to hold you accountable to are going to be preaching and shepherding. But we know the way out of revitalization requires with that uh, discipling and also requires leadership of passing on that vision and instilling that vision, vision and changing that culture. So we have those four days that we have to be very intentional about as pastors of where we invest our time and where we invest our efforts. So what we're going to spend the next few moments doing is just sort of lay out for you sort of the rhythms that we develop for ourselves. And and not that you would copy our rhythms, but that it would just spur you to think about what your rhythm may be, because we're all different. And you're going to see differences in in Russ and I's uh, rhythms that we laid out. But the big cry is to be intentional about doing these things because they're not going to automatically happen. If you don't schedule it on your calendar and if you don't protect it, you're not going to you're not going to be able to accomplish these things because you're going to have no lens to look through to be able to say, you know what? No, I really can't do that because I've already got this time blocked out for this. That was one of my biggest struggles in ministry. I had no way to say no to anything. Uh, until I began to live out these rhythms. And then I said, you know what? I would put on my calendar that I have this, this leadership development that's going on in the afternoon. So that gave me permission within myself to say to that person, you know what? That's a great thing you're doing. I'd love to spend time with you. But I really have this thing in my calendar already that I have to take care of. Because if we don't build a way and create a lens to say no to things, everything else that everybody brings to you then becomes an emergency. And, and you have no way to say no to those things. So we want to spend some time just showing you a couple of examples of what our rhythms looks like, uh, look like. And hopefully that's going to spur your thinking to where you can begin to think about what your week would look like and how you would invest your time. So, Russ, if you come and walk us through yours. So I uh, on, on our way up here today, Sandy and I were talking about how tired we get of hearing uh, experts who were never practitioners uh, talk about things. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert, but I was a practitioner for 20 years in three different churches. And the last church I served was uh, from certain windows in this building. You can see the steeple of it. I was there for 12 years uh, here in Greensboro. Uh, And so this is not something I knew how to do day one, but it's something I developed over time and and it helped me uh, become more efficient and effective. So so my my rhythm looked like this. Uh, Sunday, obviously, is... uh, I didn't have an evening service, so my Sunday was about four hours. Uh, you know, most of you guys work a lot longer than that on Sunday, and, and I'm, I'm glad for that, but that, that was my Sunday. Uh, I tried to take Fridays off as a Sabbath day to rest, spend time with my family. Saturday was sort of family recreation day, but I say I was on call those days, you know. I mean, if something came up that was urgent and required my attention, I would give the attention I needed to to it, but I would adjust my schedule to make up for that time with my family and that time of rest as needed. 
Um, but when you sort of set the expectation that, folks, Friday is my day off, you try to stick to that. Because if you begin bending on it, people say, well, I know it's your day off, but that doesn't really mean anything. No, it means that. It means I'm going to say no to a lot of stuff. Uh, and Saturday is my day to spend with my family. Now, if you're dying or you know, it's an emergency, you've gone to the hospital and ambulance, I'm going to be there because I love you and I care about you. Just like, you know, if you were my own family member, because you are, you know. So, uh, so, so those are kind of my boundaries. Uh, it's Friday and Saturday. But then Monday, uh, I wanted to start the day with something that didn't require a lot of, uh, like, brain power because I was kind of still in that Sunday fog. Uh, so, so for me, checking off lists is kind of therapeutic. So, so the first thing I do on Monday morning is make myself a list. What do I need to accomplish this week? And, uh, you know, what can I knock out in the next three hours off of that list? And that was just kind of my, my box checking time. That was some leadership uh, time that I was given to the organizational administration. Monday afternoon, after usually after lunch, I would uh, really get into the Word. My goal for Monday was to have my text read through multiple times, multiple versions, maybe even going to the original languages. Um, and then Monday night usually was a discipling time, or Monday evening, a discipling time for me. Uh, sometimes I might be teaching a class uh, some semesters. Sometimes I might be meeting with a group of guys in my church or uh, something, but that was my discipling uh, time frame. Tuesdays. Usually first thing, I'd hit the hospitals if needed, uh, you know, maybe go visit somebody in their home, uh, spend, you know, Tuesday morning doing pastoral care. Tuesday afternoon, again, it's my preaching time. By Tuesday afternoon, I want to have read a few commentaries and, and really thought through the text from different angles. And then Tuesday evenings, I would give to uh, leadership, to organizational meetings, committees, things like that. You know, uh, Tuesday nights were usually my meeting nights. Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday morning, first thing I'm, I'm getting in the Word because my goal for Wednesday is I want to have my outline finished uh, for Sunday by Wednesday. And I put those deadlines on myself to keep me disciplined. You know, if, as long as you think I can always do it tomorrow, I can always do it tomorrow. Nobody, was, nobody cared whether I had an outline by Wednesday afternoon, but I made myself have that outline by Wednesday afternoon because it was important to me. That kept me on track. Uh, Wednesday afternoon would be discipling. Uh, for me, I, had, I was really close to the college campus. I had a group of college students that I discipled, and, and uh, that changed every semester, uh, you know, just by nature. Some of them graduated, new ones came in. So I had a different group of guys every Wednesday afternoon that I was meeting with to disciple. And then Wednesday night, shepherding time. You know, I'm, I'm there uh, for prayer meeting and, and talking to people before and after and getting caught up on things and, and you know, finding out, who needs some, some extra attention this week in, in pastoral care? Thursday morning, first thing, I'm doing pastoral care. I'm shepherding uh, in some way. Thursday afternoon and evening, that's my deadline. That's my hard deadline for the sermon. And I, I'm a full manuscript guy, so, so I'm not leaving my office Thursday until that manuscript is completed. That means sometimes I'm there really, really, really late. But I'm, I'm not leaving until it's done because... Friday and Saturday, I want to be able to give that time to my family and to rest and, uh, and really prepare myself spiritually for Sunday. Um, also, in, in those leadership blocks, kind of a driving factor for me was Acts 1-8 uh, as a vision for leading our church. So in those leadership blocks, I'm thinking about uh, what's our Jerusalem mission field and how are we impacting it? What's our Judea-Samaria mission field and how are we impacting it? What's our ends of the earth mission field and how are we impacting it? So during those leadership times, I'm emailing with missionary partners and church plant partners that we're working with. You know, I'm, I'm thinking through how we're sewing down the community with the gospel. Uh, the, that falls under the leadership time for me. And I'll say that this grid also helps you say no to some stuff because um, being... It's not like we were this, you know, like high profile church, but we're we're right off the interstate in the middle of the state. So, you know, like everybody who works at the state convention wants to have a meeting in my church, you know, and and like we're in a pocket of lostness. And so there's all these meetings that people want to have about pockets of lostness. And, you know, and they would call me up and say, hey, can we have a meeting at your church or could you meet with us about this thing? And I would look at my grid, you know, and say, well, that sounds like we're talking about a leadership thing. I can give you some time Monday morning or I can give you some time Tuesday evening. 
you know, well, that doesn't work for us. Call me back when it does, because that's when I'm setting aside time to do this stuff. And, uh, and I only gave myself margin for two outside meetings a week, like two meetings outside of my church family per week. So, you know, if there was an associational meeting and a convention thing or a civic thing or something, I'm only taking two of those a week. And if I've already got two on the calendar, I'm saying no to you when you call because I'm guarding that time. Uh, it, it might be important for you, for me to be there. It's not that important for me. What's important for me is leading my church well and being, you know, true to my ministry, my calling, my family and taking care of myself. So, uh, so that's, that's my example. All right. If within, your, within your four rhythms, and I may be splitting hairs, uh, as far as evangelism and, and trying to go out in the community, how does that fall in? Yeah, you can answer according to your model. For me, it falls between leading and discipling. So some of my leading was focused on evangelizing, you know, macro level. How are we evangelizing our community? What do we need to do to evangelize our community? And then at the discipling level, I'm always trying to incorporate unbelievers into what we're doing uh, so that, you know, together in this triad or quad or however many guys I've got meeting with me, we're bringing some unbelievers into that. So, yeah. So, so some the macro level it takes place under leading for me. Micro level it takes place under discipling for me. Yeah, great question. Thank you. That is a good question. Um, as you're going to see, Russ, Russ and ours are a little bit different. Uh, for me, you know, Sunday we had uh, worship on Sunday morning. A lot of times we had two services in Sunday morning, uh, and and then we would a lot of times would have uh, uh, discipleship small groups on Sunday evening. So my they required a little bit more time on Sundays than, than Russ, uh, but usually worked out to close to about six hours for me by the time you add everything together there. Uh, Monday, my Monday, I always like to jump right back into the text of where I was going. I like to preach through either books of the Bible or I like to preach through long portions of Scripture uh, to, together. That's just sort of the way that I like to, to present the Word. I think it gives that holistic uh, teaching and preaching of the word. So I want to get back into the text that Monday morning. You know, that's, that sort of energized me uh, after, after Sunday, uh, encouraged me a lot of times, you know, if Sunday wasn't that great, you know, and you sort of get those Monday morning blues, the word always has a little way of inspiring you and, and sort of bringing you back to reality there. And on uh, Monday afternoons, I, I, I use that time to catch up with, with leaders. I would have conversations with them uh, about how things went and what they were leading. Uh, you know, we had, a, we had a mission that we were trying to accomplish. How did things go in their leadership on that Sunday when they were leading? How did their small group go? Uh, what could we do to help them? How could we better serve them? I always block that time out to just sort of touch base with my leaders there. And then on Monday afternoons, uh, I always boxed out, I mean evenings, I always sort of boxed out for discipling. And, and for Monday's discipling, for me, what that usually meant was I was preparing uh, for that week. If you'll notice, on Tuesday evening, I have discipling also, and this sort of answers your question from my perspective. I had discipling on Sunday evenings, but my discipling on Sunday evenings uh, was usually with members of our congregation. And I, I realized that as the pastor, part of my responsibility is creating leadership for our, our, our church. And, you know, I met, met with a pastor one time. He said he'd been in his church for 13, 14, 15 years. And his biggest problem was he didn't have any leaders in his church that he could entrust to do anything. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's, that's, an, that's part of your responsibility to develop those leaders. They're not going to fall out of the sky. And so if I wanted people to be able to lead ministries and, and lead out in my congregation, a part of my responsibility is investing in them and discipling them uh, and this is a really cool part about that. I found out that my, the meetings that I had to attend began to drop as I began to disciple leaders within my church because they could go and lead those meetings. And I knew when they were leading those meetings, they were leading from our vision perspective, not necessarily through our traditional way that we have done things. I don't know if churches that you serve often do this, but a lot of their ministry planning was just simply bringing from the calendar what they did last year and what, what, how are we going to do it this year. And, and so when I had spent time developing leaders within the congregation, 
I knew when they were having these meetings, I didn't necessarily have to be there. That they were going to be leading from that same perspective and be very mission-driven. So I, div- I div- divided my discipling as member. And then if you look on Fridays, uh, my wife and I a lot of times kept our Fridays open where we would spend time with non-members, people that didn't know Christ, weren't in the church. And, and we're, we're having dinner with them. We're developing relationships with them. We're, we're, we're deepening that relationship we had with them. So for me, I divided it in my mind as far as leadership development and, and just discipling and evangelism and reaching people with the gospel. For me, that's two, that's two sides of the same coin. I don't separate evangelism, discipleship. That's a part of, of, of who we are and how we go about it. So I was very intentional about both of those because I wanted... I wanted to be able to leave the church I was pastoring for two weeks. This is sort of my mentality. I want to be able to just walk away for two weeks, go on a mission trip, and not worry about things falling apart. I spent 15 years trying to work myself out of a job. If I could develop people to do that, and this, this place flourish and, and not miss a beat with me not being there, then I felt like I was doing a part of what I needed to do. I didn't want the church uh, centered on me. It could only function if I was there. So I had to spend time intentionally investing in those leaders. For me, Tuesday morning was shepherding. Uh, That's hospitals. That's uh, visitation. Uh, Someone we needed to to, to go see as pastor. Uh, Shepherding, guys, don't discount the the shepherding. As Russ has already alluded to, that's sort of the meaning of, of who we are. But shepherding really gives your preaching power. Your shepherding uh, uh, really connects with, if you've shepherded your people and you stand to preach the word of God, there's a difference in the way those folks receive that word. If you have spent time with them and shepherded them through crisis, they hear you differently than if they don't know you. And so that shepherding is vitally important that they hear your preaching at a different level, but the shepherding also allows you uh, to institute and bring about change at a different way. It gives you, I call it change equity. Uh, you know, if I've had time with them, I've, I've eaten breakfast with them, and, and, and I've drank coffee with them and just shared my heart, they know that I'm not there just trying to change their church, that they really get to know who I am, know my heartbeat, know who I am as their pastor. And then when I, you know, when we bring to a point of a, a radical change in our, con- in our congregation, they know that this is just not something that I'm trying to do and, and, and steal their church away. Uh, for, for example, one church, uh, the last church I pastored, I'm so proud of this. I love sharing this example. Uh, we radically changed our budget, restructured our, our, our whole ministry team and whole ministry outlook. And we had this meeting, approved this meeting in 20 minutes and we were done. Unanimously. And that has nothing to do with me. I'm just saying that had to do with we took the time to shepherd our people Answer their questions of why. Uh, and, and guys says, I, you know, call me sometimes. I got to uh, pray for me. I got a business meeting that's coming up and I'm really nervous about the outcome of this. And I always say to that guy, if you're nervous about the outcome of a vote or a business meeting, then you're not ready to deal with that yet. You haven't shepherded to the point that you know the heart of your people and the people know your heart. And there's no better way to acquire that change equity than through shepherding your people. And we're not doing it just simply because we want to get change equity, as Russ already alluded. We're doing it because we what? We love them. We love our people. And, and that's another big one. If you don't love your people, you can't, you can't change your people. You can't lead your people. And, and that's one of the things I've noticed with pastors that I encounter. I pastor some pastors that are just simply uh, trying to change a church and not really leading from... Uh, the perspective of trying to lead people. There's a huge difference in trying to change a church and trying to lead people. And we want to lead people to a better place and and who Christ has called us to be. So don't neglect that time of of shepherding. It's vitally important. Then Tuesday uh, afternoon, I'm back into the preaching uh, mode. I'm trying to work out uh, where where we're going. Uh, And and I'm sort of, I I like to play with my... um, Main points, I always like to have at least one point in my message. Amen? <laughs> and so I, I want to get that right. And, and, and so I'm spending time in that. And then Wednesday, when we shift over to there, 
Uh, we had staff meeting on Wednesday. And you say, well, I may be in a church that doesn't have, you know, other paid staff. Well, that's fine. Uh, you still need to meet with your leaders. You still have leaders that are going to be leading things, and, and you need to meet with them uh, on a constant basis just to make sure you guys are on the same page. And then we get to Wednesday again. I'm back to my preaching because, uh, as you see, my Sabbath was Thursday, and that's an odd day. I've never met another pastor that took Thursday off. But for me, it always worked best because it seemed like there wasn't as many surgeries on Thursday. It seems like I wasn't trying to tie up loose ends like Friday can turn into sometimes. You know, we just figured out that somebody's not going to be there and you got to do all these things, you know. So it seemed like Thursday was the best day for me uh, to, to take off. So by Wednesday, and sort of like us, we had this in common. I'm not a full manuscript guy, but by, by the time I went to bed on Wednesday, I had to have in my mind a detailed outline for the same reason book Russ. Because Thursday, I'm taking the day off. I'm more than likely spending that entire day with my wife. And if I didn't have my detailed outline done by Wednesday night, my mind was thinking about it. You know, and I really, I might have been present physically, but I, I probably wasn't present, uh, you know, mentally. I was thinking about that. Uh, so that's where all of us in this room are going to be different. And that's where we're encouraging you to find out your rhythm of how you accomplish these things, what, what works best for you, and then just be intentional and live into that. Wednesday was a good uh, shepherding night again. Uh, we had changed. We didn't have the typical prayer meeting. We was more of a team ministry. Wednesday became our mission and ministry night. Uh, so it gave me a lot of uh, access to people, not a lot of responsibility on Wednesday nights. So I could be there. I could go into our group that was praying, or I could go into our group that was involved in uh, neighborhood missions and just catch up with them, see where they were going. Uh, and so it gave me a lot of flexibility on Wednesday night just to be there with people. Thursday, as I shared with you already, was, our, was my day off. Friday, I was back in shepherding, whether it's the hospital. And, and I'm the, I wasn't the guy that said this to Russ, but I'm the guy that struggled for a lot with, with shut-in ministry. Uh, but, but So what I had to do to build into that was, was do that exact same thing. I, I, we, we celebrated a shut-in, one shut-in a week. Uh, and, and me and whoever else in the staff was available, we'd make a big deal that I was going to see a, a shut-in on Friday, and, and we were going to spend time with them, and then a lot of times we may stop and have lunch. But I had to structure that in and, and, and involve other people to keep me accountable because here's what I found out about myself. I could be saying all week, well, I'm going to go see Aunt Sally on Friday, but then Friday come, and if nobody else was going with me, I could easily find something else to do. But once I had somebody else that was committed to going with me, I was obligated. And it sort of made me uh, step into that and into doing that. Because I knew in my heart of hearts that I needed to do that. And that was important. But I had to build, that's what Russ was talking about. I had to build around me some structure to, to allow me to step into that. Uh, so that was what, that's what we did Friday mornings. Friday afternoon, I would come back. I would finish up, you know my sermon, make sure I'm ready to go there. And then, as I told you earlier, on Friday evening, we usually spent that with people that weren't connected to our church. Uh, it was a great time to invite them to go out to dinner or whatever and just deepen that relationship. Uh, we often did some Bible studies with, with people in our neighborhood. On Friday's a good night to do that. And then Saturday, uh, you know, was our, was our family day. Now, here's a very important part of it. The way I worked this out is I color-coded all of these things. I had like preaching, you know, I, I, it was red on my calendar, on my layout. You know, that was, sort of goes along with the, with the red in, in, our, in our printed Bible. For me, that clicked. And so I would lay these out every week. There would be a different color. And on Sunday evening, I'm sort of a night owl. My family goes to bed early. I stay up, usually watching a football game or something. And I found out that I could easily just look at that piece of paper and see those colors and see what I actually did that week and evaluate where I spent my time. And maybe I noticed, you know, I, I didn't get to do uh, my discipling on, on Friday night uh, because I was at the hospital. Something happened there. Uh, and, and so it really makes me be intentional about leaning into that for the next week. Does that make sense? 
So do evaluation of that week. See where you actually spent your time because it's never going to be your ideal week's never going to happen. There's always something that's going to come up. But this is going to keep you from neglecting one of those aspects that's going to be vital in leading in revitalization. And I'll be honest with you, what happens over and over, usually the ones that get pushed out of the picture are discipling and leadership. And you're not going to revitalize your church without leadership and disciple making in your congregation. So if we get into that habit and we don't stop and evaluate what I did last week, where do I need to spend this time this week, then we're never going to be intentional about those things. Uh, and, and so you begin to evaluate that week, where do I need to spend more time next week? If I spent a lot of hours shepherding this week, hopefully next week I don't have to spend as much uh, time shepherding there and I can get back into my leadership or I can get back into my disciple making uh, for that week and, and sort of get back on track. So that's what my week looked like. Uh, it never worked out perfectly, but it always kept me on track and an idea of that I'm feeling these different obligations that I have as, as a pastor to help bring our church out of revitalization. Russ, I think now we got a few minutes left for anybody that may have some, some questions about this. Has this been helpful? Uh, anything you'd sort of like to ask, we want to build some time in for that. And then we want to give you some information about what's the next step if this is something that really interests you. And we'll sort of close out with that. Okay. Staff meeting coming to this and, and working with uh, other staff. What category do you I put that under leading on Wednesday because we had our staff meeting on Wednesday mornings. And so I was leading our staff uh, is, is where I, I, I placed it. And a lot of time you could, you could easily put that under discipling, I think, because we're, you know, we're working with our staff trying to make sure we're all on the same page and we're all sort of in, in the same direction and developing our, our staff. But for me, I put it leading on Wednesday morning. That's when we had our, our staff meetings and gatherings. Good question. Anybody else? All right. Do you ever allow time for or lock off time for family in the evenings? Because I've, I've got three kids. And I feel like if I yeah. every night with church, and I, they might have Friday and Saturday, but they right. have no time to disciple my own kids during the week. I, uh, I'll speak to that. Sometimes I started my day earlier. You know, so like morning wasn't nine o'clock, morning might be seven o'clock and, and I shut down at four, you know. Um, so, yeah, you can. Yeah. By all means. I mean, I, it was not my goal to have a meeting every night of the week. But uh, sometimes sometimes that's the way it is. You know, in some semesters I taught seminary extension classes. And so I'd have Monday night class, Tuesday night meeting, Wednesday night service, Thursday night I'm studying late, you know. And I just try not to make that all the time. But uh, yeah. If you can, if you can start your day earlier, and uh, some some of your churches too, like your churches are full of retired people who can meet during the day. Why get why give up an evening when you got people who can meet in the daytime? You know, so uh, you know it's going to vary contextually from church to church. Yeah, back here. Uh, I found, and I'm still learning a lot of this as well, but I found one of the things that's been really helpful to me. Mentally, emotionally, I guess, psychologically, was to sit down with my wife as I mapped this out and said, what pockets am I not seeing that you might see, you know, because she thinks differently than I do. Mm-hmm. And then she also is speaking into the fact that I've got three kids as well. And she might say, well, we have this thing that we do on Monday night, so that would free you up if you wanted to go visit. And so it was just really helpful because I think a lot of pastors' wives feel like they're handed schedule instead of maybe talk with about it. Yeah. So it's helped primarily. That's great. It's great. Yeah, I think up here. Hey, Russ, I know that you did an interim job recently. Mm-hmm. So how did, like, bivocationally, or somebody like me, bivo, how do you fit this in? Yeah. 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 So I, I was I was a bivocational pastor for six months, and I'd say, what you'd have to just do what I did, and that is work with that church to see, you know, what you can come up with. But you've still I think you've still got to give sufficient time to these four concentrations. It may not look like you know four days or three 
you know, blocks in each day, it might be that you're only able to give one block each day, but you still want to give attention to these four concentrations. And that's the main thing, you know, is that you're, that whatever hours you have to give to it, you're giving it to the right things. So, Phil, I think you had. I think you put on the question I was going to ask because I'm by vocational now. I work, full, I work 50 hours a week sometimes. Yeah. Job. Yeah. Plus, I pastor a church. And we've been fortunate enough to just bless the church. But when it comes to the compartmentalization that you're talking about, where you put these blocks, you got to be very strategic in what you put. And what I found worked best for me is we started with zero. In other words, every ministry in the church is expendable. Mm -hmm. We find out what's right. Yeah. Yeah. And if we do something that's wrong, we automatically cut it out and replace it with something that's right. I like the way <coughs> it's wrong. I like the way Sandy compartmentalized his because of the Mondays and the Sundays. But when you're working a 45 to 50 hour right. work week, you have to you have to place it that way. But we went in and I said, we're not going to do church the way you've ever done it before. We had 11 in Sunday school. The youngest man in my church was 72. And we said we had to change that. And in two years, God's blessed it. We've had we're running 85, 90. We've had 30 baptisms. And wow. God's really blessing what we're doing. And I'm working full time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even get it that good at my last church. <laughs> I just didn't see it coming that same way. But we had to, uh, I went in and said, Forget anything you've ever done. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. I think what you are expressing is sort of where we're trying to get whatever your rhythm is. You know, your rhythm definitely had to be different than a full time, you know, given to ministry. But I still think that you were intentional about what you're doing. That's what we're trying to instill. We have to be intentional about where we invest our time. Give our attention to those things to the, the, uh, that are most important. And then I think you probably do a really good job at delegating. There's probably people in your, in your church that do a lot of things. That, uh, that are, that, and I think that's very biblical, yes. uh, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. Amen. That's what I was going to say. I was bivocational for, uh -huh. for six years. And you have to be very good at time management. That's right. And you have to be very good at the word no. Yeah. And you have to be very intentional what? at delegating, <laughs> delegating and, and seeing really the strengths of the people that you have around you. Yeah. Uh, because, it, like I said earlier, if there's some guy who's good at, and is really good at something, let him, let him do it. Let her do it. You know, <laughs> there's nothing wrong, too, with letting women do, do certain things. I know we're Baptist, and if they're good at it, don't do it. You know, I mean, I had a lady who was very good at putting together, you know, designing presentations to the church. Hey, you're great at this. You know, Turn I'll, loose. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll design it and let you, I'll put the, the key components, you put it together. And I think the, the bivocational guys probably do that probably better out of necessity. Than, than full-time guys probably do. And a part of what we wanted to sort of share with you as sort of a wrap-up is, uh, you know, we just want to encourage you to begin to think intentional about investing your time because you have a limited amount of resource of your time and, and you really need to be, we really need to be good stewards of our people's time because we have a limited amount of resource coming from our people and, and what they have. So being intentional about putting that to the right things is vital. So, so where we would go to, from here, I would say, is if you're interested in having this, uh, maybe come in and do a training at your association, uh, gather, you know, gather a group uh, uh, together and maybe work on this at, in, in a more in depth about developing some of these rhythms. Uh, disciple making rhythm and, and process is a vital thing to this. That really changed my ministry, changed my, my pastorate uh, when I actually had a disciple making uh, process that I used. So we would be willing to, to set up, you know, a, a time to come to your association and we could dive down into this a little deeper. All right. God bless you. Thank you.